0: You are listening to Gauntlet Radio on CGSW 90.9 FM on the University of Calgary campus in Calgary, Alberta. My name is Troy Hasselman, and I will be your host. This is our November 2019 edition. Gauntlet Radio is the radio show ran by the Gauntlet, the University of Calgary's independent student publication. For today's episodes, we'll have a discussion about women's hockey facilitated by our sports editor, Tori Taylor. And that will be followed by a conversation between myself and Haley Muir about the FemWave Music and Arts Festival, which will run from November 7th to 10th. But first, here is our conversation about women's hockey.
1: Hello, welcome to Gauntlet Radio. I'm the sports and lifestyle editor, Tori Taylor, and I have Lauren Olson on the phone for a interview on the Women's Hockey League that folded this year. Lauren, welcome. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what went on this year? Was it something that was seen coming in advance or did it catch a lot of people off guard?
2: The situation was definitely a surprise. So I'll give a little tiny bit of background um, information. So um, for the last few years, the professional women's hockey climate has been, there have been two leagues in North America. So there's been the Canadian Women's Hockey League, the Mm -hmm. CWHL, and there's been the National Women's Hockey League, the NWHL. And both of them had about six teams and they did not compete against each other. They were two separate leagues. Um, this past spring, I believe it was April, the CWHL announced that they had folded. And I remember it was like the beginning of April because I was like, what? This is a not a funny April Fool's joke, guys. <laughs> no. um, but it wasn't April Fool's. So the league did fold, and they explained that they were folding because it was an unsustainable business model, which seemed to be true. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of the league and how they functioned, but I do know That the players weren't paid a whole lot. There wasn't a lot of turnout to home games in Calgary. Just based on that, there can't be a lot of money going into an organization. So it makes sense that there wouldn't be money to work with. So it did catch everybody really off guard. And I have quite a few friends who played in the league. It was a shock, and everyone was reeling for a little bit and trying to figure out what they were going to do next.
1: Just because I know very little about women's hockey. So the CWHL, that's Canada. Mm-hmm. And then the NWHL yeah. does that. That's a, that's the states I'm assuming. Yeah, like national. And it Hockey was a thing?
2: little bit. I believe they were more. The NWHL was based out of more of the eastern states, like northeast states.
1: And how yeah. are they doing?
2: I don't know much about them. They are running the league this year. Mm-hmm. Um, however, once the CWHL folded, um, a couple of months later there was um, an announcement made by about 200 players. Mm -hmm. that they were going to boycott playing in any North American professional league in the upcoming upcoming season, which is now starting.
1: And that's Um, including, those are women that would have played NWHL? Some of them, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool.
2: Yeah, So, and it also eliminated the chance for some of the CWHL former players to go and play in the NWHL. They decided they weren't going to play. They wanted to... Take the opportunity to try and create a better situation in the future. So, the NWHL is running this year. I think they might have less teams. They might be down to four teams, and I'm not 100% sure about that, but there are 200 players less playing this year. So, there are definitely less players to play in that league. As well as the top, top players of the leagues are spearheading the boycott. So, those top players are not playing, which inevitably makes The game doesn't have their superstars.
1: Yeah. It's
2: it's a little bit of a difference.
1: In terms of solutions to the problem, there's not necessarily a clear one as of yet. You mentioned uh, when we talked before that the NHL was being asked or it was an idea that they could step in and financially assist. But you had mentioned some issues with that and why it wasn't necessarily a fix at all. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So there was a lot of rumors running around when the CWHL folded. What I gathered was there were some people who, and there are some people who believe the NHL should step in and take the opportunity to kind of take the, the women under their wing, so mm-hmm. to speak, and create WNHL sort of similar to like what the the WNBA is um, for basketball. But it's more so rumors than anything, and Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, has said he won't step in as long as there are other leagues going because he doesn't want to step on any toes, doesn't want it to be a bullying move and closing down the NWHL. As long as the NWHL is running, the N- or the NHL won't touch the sense. women's hockey, which totally makes sense in my opinion. And the NHL also... They're a huge business. They're so smart. They have their business down to an art, and they can't afford to make any brash decisions. So you can be sure that if the NHL does make a move to include women and and do a WNHL, it's going to be a thought-out plan. It's going to take time, and it's going to be very deliberate. And that, I believe, will take some time.
1: And you had mentioned... In your opinion, and I'm sure this is an opinion probably shared with a few, you thought the best avenue to take to eventually rebuild, essentially, like to, to start from the beginning, and you had said, um, in your opinion, that basically starting new leagues or a new team or starting from the very bottom and rebuilding the entire league back up or a different league back up by the players that were interested in doing that is – good idea or is maybe more sustainable than just asking the NHL to step in?
2: I think so. And that might just be my like my own personal like super conservative (laughs) sort of bias. No, it's not a bad idea. Um but I think like I'm just of the mindset that if I want something, I need to work for it. So if I want a league that's sustainable and is structured in a sustainable way and that is fair for everybody and all of that sort of stuff, like I I have all the rights in the world to just start it. And I mean, it's, it's tough because it would really be starting at the bottom. And I should back up and say that the, uh, some of the players have created a new association and it's a professional women's hockey players association. So Mm -hmm. the the NHL also have a player's association. So this is a women's players association, which is basically a union. And that is sort of, who speaks for the women players. They are working from that point of view now, and the top players have organized a tour. It's called the Dream Gap Tour. Okay. And they're playing right now, and they it's it's just a small tournament that they're, I think there's four teams, and it's top players, like uh, national team players, who have formed these teams, and they're touring around and playing small tournaments. I think they were just in Ontario last week. Mm-hmm. And it's to raise awareness, Um, get people out and excited about women's hockey, which I think is a great idea. Um, And that's kind of positive buzz around that. And I think that's a good place to build from. So it seems, and I think if they keep building from there. And my biggest thing is it's something to work on and it's something that will take time. And like taking sponsorships, absolutely. Like if you get sponsorships and all that stuff, do it. But I also think there is no money owed to anybody. Mm -hmm. I think that players are paid what they're earning in revenue that to me just makes sense i'll also rewind to to just speak to the league before it folded it's only been a couple of years that the women even got paid the wages were like we're talking five thousand dollars a year kind of thing like Mm -hmm. not a big not a big amount of money so players had to have full-time jobs on top of playing this professional hockey which doesn't sit right it doesn't feel good because you think you're a professional athlete, and you should get paid as one. But there was no money to pay more than that. And that's not for any reason, in my opinion, from just there wasn't enough ticket sales.
1: You had said it's a little bit of a cycle when it comes to trying to draw people in or at least... It has been in the past. If nobody is coming to the games, then they aren't able to be paid for their time for practices appropriately to be able to give enough of their time without having to work other jobs to then get better and draw more people into the stands. So it's it's almost like, I don't know if you want to call it a vicious cycle or not, but it, like you said, it, it just didn't work because the skill level wasn't necessarily where it might be as exciting to be able to charge $250 for a ticket like the Flames do. Definitely. I think you had... Uh, mentioned before that unfortunately some of the skill level wasn't even anywhere near par and that's just because there's not enough time able to be given at that so there's actually a lot of teenagers younger girls or whatever that have been more and more and more so playing hockey so there's not a a lacking feed into what could be the women's hockey league or a women's hockey league or the industry there there's actually quite a lot that's at the base And they now, one of the reasons why this is actually sad and an issue is that in terms of women's sports, there's nowhere for them to go after. There's almost like it's it's just like capped off. They can play at a competitive level and be really passionate about it from a young age moving upwards. But then now there's not anything there.
2: Yeah, exactly. Girls going into playing hockey right now can look up to the top, like the highest level would be playing on the national team, which that's awesome.
1: Okay. Um, are they paid on the national team or is that, no, uh, or not quite?
2: I don't think a lot, if much. Okay. I'm sorry, I don't know that answer. Do you definitely.
1: know how many Canadians, not like a specific number, but is it frequent that Canadians will move and
2: play in the NWHL? I don't think it's as common. I think at least even with the people, the players that I know who were in the Canadian Women's Hockey League last year, this year are playing in uh, Europe. So that's another option for players is to join a a league over in Europe. There's lots of teams in Sweden and Finland and places like that.
1: Do they make more money over
2: there? No. Maybe on par and depends where they are, but it's pretty comparable to what they were making in the CWHL. I mean, you can account for things like if it's a younger woman, like early 20s, for example, or mid-20s, you can count for something that it's an adventure to go to europe and yeah. they'll they'll pay your your apartment and your your groceries and you basically just play hockey and you get paid like $3000 a month maybe
1: which is an experience
2: it's, exactly I mean, so that's not to be discounted but if like if someone's thinking they're going to be moving up to a league like the NHL where there's potential to make millions if you're good enough or if you're fair. lucky enough like that's a long
1: ways away. As well, you and I had talked about, and I I do agree with you, it's not, you'd said when this happened that there were some people um, that almost wanted to get involved in the controversy of the league folding behind the veil of like, like a a more of a feminist view like passionately about it but they weren't necessarily people who had had anything to do with the league before they weren't people that had ever bought a ticket or watched women's hockey it was more like an uproar over making it a feminist issue as in girls should be able to play all the way up the professional leagues they should be just as good blah 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 um and it's not that I, I don't believe that, obviously, but when it comes down to it, skill level is skill level. And like you had said, you if you have to start from the bottom and build all the way back up, paying more attention to what the NHL games look like and better tactical ways to draw in a crowd, more entertaining games, things like that. That's mm-hmm. just the reality of it. That's not offending anyone. It's not offending a gender. That's just some games are interesting, some are not so if you want them to be interesting it has nothing to do with women or men when it comes down to that like base level it has way more to do with it's just is it interesting or is it not and when I was reading your article that's one thing you talked about you said like to be clear making it a feminist issue almost loses people's backing Mm -hmm. you know some people can become more sensitive to that and irritated with it and less likely to want to help or to I don't know go see games if they feel like instead it's it's been made into an issue that it's it, it's not really.
2: I saw people who are friends of mine mm-hmm. or people that I know who were sharing this news of the CWHL collapsing and saying that Canada needs to do better and shame on us and the women deserve better and all that sort of stuff. And I know for a fact that none of those people had ever been to a game. I appreciate that people have their battles and for lots of people, feminism is their, their battle. But to me, it doesn't make sense to just take a handout to make the league stay in business, especially if we're taking a handout from, for example, the NHL, it's completely hypocritical. It's saying we want to be independent and we want women empowerment, but we're also saying, give us money, men, because we deserve it because we're women <laughs> right. it's like
1: so yep. insane
2: Ruffles some feathers um, so that's why i'm of the mind build it build it like yep. go go play on a shitty rink mm-hmm. gather your gather your girls make a little league it'll grow get people to come watch there are ways like if, if you want something
1: Bad enough, there are you ways can get to it. do it yep
2: but it takes time and you have to grind it out it's like to me that.
1: There's something to be said, too, that if you do start from the bottom there, I mean, just in terms of self-gratification or Mm -hmm. knowing that you earned it, knowing that you built it up and being in control of that instead of just expecting to be bailed out with everything taken into account. It's an accomplishment. And way back when, whenever the CWHL was started up, I mean, would it have not been kind of the same thing? They would have started from scratch and, and built it up. So there's no reason that it couldn't be done again. And Mm -hmm. I think you gather a decent amount of support from people that watch that hard work go into it as well.
2: Yeah. And you'll also set such a great example for the young girls who are looking up to those players. Cause all those girls like at the CWHL games, there were the little teams of junior infernos with their jerseys cheering and like it's all these young girls watching them play. And also I'm thinking like, if you got a handout from these big businesses, the, biz- the big business then owns you. They can control your fate. And I'm not interested in that.
1: And you mentioned that even with a handout, it's potentially more of a band aid because realistically, it's still not going to be a sustainable business model if you don't have people in the I mean, stands. The game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a, a temporary fix. It doesn't actually amp the game up or make it so that years from now, even like a year from now, next year, whatever, three, four years from now, the girls that are underneath hoping to play professionally, it will just fall apart all over again.
2: And even right now, if the, <clears throat> if the professional league takes some time to sort itself out, I, I don't think that young girls should like stop signing up or stop mm-hmm. playing. Because like I said, there's like play university, play college, get a college, like university scholarship, play like try out for the national teams. There's there's still a lot there. Um, and that also can be improved. Like
1: even the Europe thing that, that you mentioned. Like that is, I mean, honestly, it's especially if you have no real ties or need to stay. Like it's a pretty, yeah, cool, pretty sweet. cool adventure doing something that you absolutely love. As you know, it's like studying abroad, but totally. way, way cooler. <laughs> yeah, I
2: know. <laughs> I'm so jealous of some of my friends <laughs> who are over there playing right now. <laughs> Thank
1: you so much for coming on to the radio this afternoon and giving your time to talk about this. It's definitely a situation that deserves conversation and being looked at because Canada's, we're well-known for hockey and we're not just men here. So, you know, you gotta, yeah gotta, some of those. ladies in on
2: the action.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to see some some good hockey. I've never been to a game, so I'm one of those people that I can't say that much. You and I should have to, we should go to one sometime. Yeah. When there's an totally. opportunity. But yeah, thank you so much and I this has been Gauntlet Radio at CGSW.
0: You are listening to Gauntlet Radio on CGSW 90.9 FM. Founded in 2015, FemWave, the feminist arts festival that includes music, comedy, film, and visual art, has grown widely in its scope since its first year and operates at multiple venues across Calgary's downtown core. This year it'll be from November 7th to November 10th with headliners including Vancouver's The Pack AD, The Torchettes, and recent Polaris Prize winner Hawaii Mighty let us know a bit more about what's going on at the festival, we are joined now by FemWave Artistic Director Haley Muir. Haley, how are you?
3: Hi, good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Good. FemWave is different from other music festivals, and one of the things that sets FemWave apart is, aside from the performance, there's a core set of values and an ethos to the festivals. Could you talk a bit about those values?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when FemWave started, my co-founder and I, Kaylee Cormack, we were in the beginning stages of a band that we also share uh, called the Chivarets. As we started playing music together and playing shows together, we sort of noticed a funny two things that happened. On the one hand, we were often kind of the only women around when we were playing shows. Which we noticed early on and was kind of frustrating because, on the other hand, we also knew a lot of women um, and non-binary folks who were in the music community, in bands and solo artists who were producing great music. Uh, So it was just kind of an odd imbalance thing for us. So really, at the end of the day, that's the core value of femwave is to give women and non-binary folks and otherwise underrepresented artists uh, more of a spotlight and more space to share their stories and their music and their art so really uh, across disciplines across whatever it is we're doing the the ethos is to provide that space for folks who might not otherwise have it
0: And you have a really exciting lineup this year with some big names like Havaya Mighty and as well as a host of other events across different mediums. Now, I know we wouldn't have time to cover the entire lineup. (laughs) Could you touch on a few of the highlights this year for you?
3: Sure. Um, Well, of course, we're so excited to have Havaya Mighty. Uh, We booked her quite a few months back before... She was nominated for the Polaris Prize before she won it. So we're really excited to have her uh, debut solo show um, here in Calgary. So that's going to be great. She's headlining at the Legion on the Friday night. The Legion's always such a great time. We've got programming on all three floors, including in the basement. Uh, We have a couple of DJs down in the basement, which we haven't done There before, so that's something new a nice little ravey dance party in the Legion basement. We've also got some really interesting sort of avant garde neoclassical experimental music this year. Gabby Tomei is coming in from Montreal. They're a classically trained guitarist with an incredible voice. So they're going to be doing the brunch showcase on Saturday morning, along with the Jessica McCann trio. Jessica is uh, a First Nations artist who's, oh my gosh, she's classically trained in everything. Piano, voice, uh, violin, I believe. She's got a a host of many instruments that she's very well skilled at. So she's going to be doing a little kind of neoclassical experimental thing as well. And then we're doing our very first co-pro with Bug Incision, which is um, an avant-garde experimental collective here in Calgary led by Chris Dadge. Uh, So we're going to be taking over Highline Brewing on the Sunday night with uh, a few different artists, mostly Calgary, but we're also excited to have uh, an artist from Edmonton, Shamila Hamani. She does, I think, just acoustic, a acapella, uh, traditional uh, Pakistani songs. So that will be super exciting. Um, and as always, we've got lots of traveling visual art. We've got some zines and some photography exhibitions. So that's uh, super exciting as well.
0: Aside from all the performances happening, there are also workshops mm-hmm. that are a part of the festival as well could you talk a bit about those
3: yeah for sure so workshops happen on the sunday we started doing workshops year two i think to just provide a bit of an educational component to the festival as well so so happy to be welcoming back local astrologer uh, ariel leroyd she is an incredible woman and she's done astrology workshops the past couple of years and by far there are most popular well-attended workshops uh, so this year she's going to be giving a work on Chiron in the chart and Chiron is some an asteroid and it's the wounded healer in your chart so it's uh, she'll be going through what that means in general and what it means uh, in your chart and how you can heal from past wounds so that's really exciting we've got zine making we're going to be having a panel discussion as well with local organizations Pink Flamingo and She Talks and we're going to have a couple of different panelists for that discussion as well as another artist who's performing at the festival her name is equal and she's an unbelievable first nations rapper from regina so that's going to be really great and then all day at the workshops there is a craft corner so stash uh which is a local company as well they're going to be on hand and you can go do some knitting and do some crafts and probably meet some new friends and uh have a whole lot of fun
0: one cool initiative you have to fund the festival is club sandwich yeah you talk a bit about club sandwich and what that is
3: yeah, totally. Uh Club Sandwich was thought up by one of our friends who was on the committee at the time and then we just kind of ran with it to think up a way that people could financially support us year round because we are a nonprofit. We have gotten some grants and stuff this year which is really great, but for all intents and purposes, we run on volunteer power and ticket sales. So Club Sandwich came from a brainstorming session on how we can have people be able to support us year round. It's a minimum $40 yearly donation and with that you get a club sandwich patch your membership patch if you will that you can put on your jacket or your backpack or wherever you want and uh, there's lots of other perks that come with it you get little goodies that we send out throughout the year you get discount codes for festival wristbands or tickets um, all that kind of fun stuff and uh, you get one free ticket to a non-festival FemWave Presents show every calendar year.
0: FemWave has definitely grown a lot since it started in mm-hmm. 2015, but how would you like to see it continue to grow?
3: Always a great question. Uh, I don't know because, you know, when we started that year one, we didn't even know it was going to be a yearly thing. We just thought it would be a one-off. So even the growth that it's seen over the last five years is incomprehensible like I I am constantly in awe of how it's grown and really that growth is thanks to the community for supporting and the tireless efforts of our committee curators and board and we always joke that ideally one day we live in a world where something like FemWave doesn't have to exist because all of the things that we bring into our programming those thoughts of equitable access to stages and festivals and exhibits and that kind of thing and you know, representing a wide variety of folks. Hopefully that's just common practice. And so the goal is that FemWave doesn't have to exist, but even in that world, we probably still will. Every year we're like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. We've got a good thing going. Let's just stick to what we know. And then somehow it grows and somebody has a new idea and it expands and it grows.
0: Could you talk about the importance of local festivals like FemWave?
3: Obviously, I'm biased, so I think it's super important. Calgary's really lucky in that we've got a lot of other uh, amazing festivals. We've got the Sled Island Music, Film, Art Festival as well, Calgary Folk Music Festival. There's all these other globally regarded amazing festivals. And we like to have FemWave situated as sort of a gateway into one of those festivals. So say you're a local emerging artist, maybe you've never played a show before with this band or previous Band, Uh, we exist for typically like especially those kind of artists. So I think it's really important to have that easy access entry point into what can be a really difficult world to get into. Whether it's music or film or visual art or any of the disciplines that we do, it can be really difficult to crack into those corners of the community. And so we hope to serve as a gateway drug into other festivals and other bigger platforms. Not that we're not a big platform, but uh, you know, we have seen a number of artists start off playing their very first show at Femwave, and then go on to Placelet Island and have really great shows, and open for huge artists, and play, you know, main stage folk fest and all these really beautiful things. So, yeah, I I think that festivals like Femwave really exist to support those baby artists and the new new folks to the scene and the emerging artists and Without supporting that, then the scene and the community just goes stagnant.
0: Anything else you'd like to add in?
3: Buy some tickets. Come to see some shows. Really, that's the best way to support. You know, people ask us how they can support and get involved and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, come to a show, even if it's just one, if it's pay what you can, or if it's a ticketed event, whatever it is, just come out. Femwave.com for tickets and all of the information. And we try to make uh, the festival really accessible. So there's free events. There's mid-range priced events. And um, if anybody has any financial barriers, let us know, and we can try to accommodate. But... Yeah, come out. We'll see you there.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with me today.
3: Thank you. This was great.
0: That's all for the November 2019 issue of Gauntlet Radio. This show is produced by me, Troy Hasselman, at CHSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta, at the University of Calgary campus located on Treaty 7. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the territory of the people of the traditional Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. I'd like to thank Lauren Olson and Haley Muir for speaking with us this month. For more stories about what is going on on campus, please pick up the latest issue of The Gauntlet from one of our over 50 stands across campus. Our theme music is Kremlin Gremlin from Calgary's own peer support. Take care, everyone.